Good evening. I don't think I can do it, Marma. <laughs> I just put gum in my mouth, okay? I got to have the gum to keep my throat moist, but I have to tuck it away or else it, I'll spit it across the... <laughs> but it's too big to tuck it away yet. <laughs> Hang on just a minute. All right, we're going to start tonight with number 941, 941. <clears throat> I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I Eight seventy one. Eight seventy one. After this song, Vicky has our uh, reading prayer tonight. Eight seventy one.
This evening's scripture reading is Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua 24, 15. Before the reading, let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day, this day that you've given us, the day that we've had to hear your word and sing songs of praise to you, Father. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to meet here this evening, to, to hear your word again. Father, we have such a great day. We've been blessed with so many things today, Father. We've learned about your work in Nashville and the relief that it does. Father, we're glad to be a part of that, and we ask that you watch over and strengthen it and guide us as, as that takes place, Father. Father, we are thankful for the church here and the elders. We ask that you be with them and bless them and guide them in their work. Father, there are many that are sick, that are many of the lost loved ones that are on the prayer list, Father. We ask that you hold them in your hand and bless them and bless those that take care of them, Father. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us, the life that he lived, the sacrifice that he made for us, his, his burial and resurrection, Father, so we know that, that we have a chance, Father, to live with thee in heaven. And Father, we know that if there's somebody here this evening that has not obeyed your will, that something may touch their heart and prick them and bring them to you, Father that they may bring and satisfy you and obey your will, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For our lesson tonight, I had a request for this song this past week, uh, so we're going to sing just a little talk with Jesus. Would you stand, please?
Seated, please. The song of invitation this evening is What the Lord Has Done in Me. It'll be on the overhead only. Good evening. I know you were blessed this morning by our brother Dwayne Castile's thoughts about the good work that's going on in Nashville at the Churches of Christ Disaster Relief there. Uh, it, was, it was a good uh, opportunity to get to talk with him and be advised on how that work is going and what all the good things that they're doing, and I know you were blessed by it as, as we were too. Tonight we're talking about uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 19. We're in our series, uh, we're calling them what the shortest verses in the Bible say about evangelism. So tonight we're kind of jumping into the middle of a thought once again uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 19. And so we all are familiar with the fact that Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. And in fact, over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've talked about that a little bit um, each, each time, I, I suppose. Uh, tonight, I, I kind of wanted to look at it from a different perspective. I kind of wanted to look at this from a free will perspective. Did, did Judas have free will as he betrayed Jesus, or is this something he was forced into? Uh, so the verse that a lot of people are going to go to when they teach this false doctrine that Judas didn't have free will is often Luke 22, verse 3. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of spend a little bit of time uh, this evening walking through that verse. And, uh, I think you'll see that the Bible teaches not only do we all have free will to choose or to not choose uh, Jesus or God or, or any moral choice, we, we ha certainly have free will there. But the Bible is also going to teach you that Judas himself had free will. Uh, the verse that Dickie read for you tonight from Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, is the famous verse at the end of Joshua's life. Joshua's an old man by this point, and he's taken the reins of the leadership from the incredible prophet Moses. Moses has been an incredible leader, and at the end of his life, he's groomed Joshua to take over those, those leadership reins, and Joshua takes them over, and he does a fabulous job guarding Israel from sin. That's really what Moses' job was, as well as Joshua's. And they've, they've served in this capacity very, very well. Of course, they're, they're human, they're fallible, they, they made mistakes, they sinned. But overall, as you look at both of these men's lives, they've, they've done an incredible job leading in a difficult position. Israel is, is not the most historically, uh, not the most easy people to, to deal with. Uh, and you see that throughout the Old Testament. Toward the end of Joshua's life, you find him in Joshua 24, verse 15, near the end of his life, and he is pleading with the nation, choose, choose for yourself. You, you get to decide. The choice is yours. It hasn't already been made for you. You get to decide who you're going to serve. And so the decision's left up to you. It's, it's, the ball's in your court. Who, who are you going to choose? Because you can serve God wherever you've, wherever you've been, whatever past you've, you're coming in from, whether you were born an Israelite or whether you've, you've, you've come into Judaism from somewhere, some religion outside of 
Israel. Uh, whether you're a pagan religion, if you come into Judaism, you get to choose. Well, I'm going to serve Yahweh. If, if you're born a Jew, you get to decide, well, I'm, I'm going to serve him with, with everything I've got. He says, <coughs> excuse me. He says on the other side of, of that argument, though, you, you could also choose in the negative, couldn't you? You could also choose not to serve him. And Joshua would, would obviously plead with you to make the right choice, to not, to not ignore Yahweh's pleas for you to come back to him, to be close to him, to, to obey, right? But that's the choice that you have. You can not obey or you could obey, and, and it's not something that's already been decided for you. This is a, a doctrine, a false doctrine, obviously, called predestination. And so uh, we're really going to work through some of this stuff tonight as we think about this. So this, this idea, this doctrine, this false idea, this false teaching um, called predestination teaches that God has, before the world ever began, selected this, peop this person to be saved. And this person to be lost. <coughs> Sorry. And there's really nothing that that person can do to be saved and that person to do to be lost. It doesn't matter the character of this person. It doesn't matter their actions or their faith or, or what they believe. Uh, if they were destined to be saved, they will be saved no matter no matter what kind of life they live, no matter what they believe, no matter what actions they take, God has destined that person to be saved. The, the, court, the, the sword cuts two ways, right? If God has destined this individual to be lost, there's nothing that they can do to be saved. There's, there's no amount of baptisms. There's no amount of, of teaching. There's no amount of, of good works that they could do that would save them. They're lost. So all of Scripture teaches against this idea. You get a choice. That's what Joshua said in 24 verse 15. But really the whole Bible teaches that this idea that it, the obligation is, is with you. God hasn't already decided this, this thing of your salvation. Um, for example, if it had... Uh, then it would be the cruelest joke for God to say, study to show yourself approved. It would be a cruel joke for him to say, to contend for the faith, to save ourselves, to be faithful unto death, and he'll give us a crown of life. If he had never intended to save a lost person, those passages and a multiplicity more would be the cruelest joke ever played by a cosmic deity. Thank you. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks, bud. Um, so, to believe this idea discounts the majority of Scripture. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't buy into the idea of predestination and still buy into the rest of Scripture. These two ideas are mutually exclusive. They, they combat they butt heads. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we wanted to walk through tonight, this idea of predestination and free will.
because it plays, obviously, a big role in evangelism. If this person, person A, is lost and there's nothing they or I or anyone else can do to move them from a lost condition to a saved condition, then why does Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to go into all the world and teach the gospel and baptize them and teach them again so that it will save them? Why, why would the gospel be so integral to, to the truth? It doesn't make any sense, right? So if, if it's true that a lost person cannot do anything to become saved, why was Peter so intent in Acts chapter 2 in his sermon talking to lost people, convincing them that Jesus really was the Christ, and then giving them a way out of their sin, a way to, to remove their sin. If a lost person can't move from a lost state to a saved state, the gospel does not matter at all. You might as well never evangelize. If a lost person can't move from a lost state to a saved state. Also, there are a multiplicity of verses where the sword cuts, again, the other direction. If a saved person can never move from a saved condition to a lost condition, the Bible doesn't make any sense. Uh, there are, like, like we say, a multiplicity of verses you could go to um, talk about your actions decide whether you're saved or not. Obviously, at your baptism, God impugns salvation to you. It's at that moment that you are saved. You go from lost to saved in that one act. You co we talk about this all the time when I study the Bible with folks. But we say, you know, you go down into the water lost, condemned. Your sins are still, you're still accountable to your, for your sins. But the moment you come back up out of that water after your immersion, all those sins are gone and now you're in a, a saved condition. So a sinner can go from lost to saved, but also a, a saved person can go from saved to lost, right? And so that's why it's so important for us to grow. Uh, in the book of 2 Peter, Peter talks a lot about, a lot about that in chapter 1. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the verse where he says you, you need to add these characteristics, these traits, these components to your faith so that what? You remember how he says it? You may never fall. That's what we want, right? We want a faith that never falters. Peter says, look, this is how you do it. It's not 100% on God. It's 100% on him and it's 100% on us. This is one of those equations where math doesn't make sense. He is completely responsible for our salvation and so are we. All right? Uh, the Bible talks in several different places where he says, now you save yourself. But obviously we're aware of those passages where God saves us. Ephesians 2 verse 8 being one of those passages. Um, all that to say, this is, this is a big deal. When we start coming into a conversation about evangelism with someone who doesn't believe you have free will, it's a big deal for evangelism. Um, at, at, to, to think through this. And this verse uh, is one of the verses, maybe the main verse, uh, that they'll go to to kind of, especially with Judas um, entering the picture, this is one of the main verses that they'll go to to say, well, see here, Judas obviously didn't have free will, right? 
let's read it. Luke 22, verse 3 says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. So Judas is possessed by Satan, right? Right? So, like, how does that work? Was he possessed, or, or, or is Satan kind of pushing him in that direction, or... Did Judas have some, could he have said no? Could Judas have been tempted, like the other 11 were certainly tempted, to betray Jesus, and they actually do that too, don't they? Um, Could he have been tempted to betray Jesus and then refuse to step back from, from that sin? Certainly, right? Okay, we'll prove it. If, if Judas is inside Satan, he doesn't have free will, right? Let's walk through it. This, pat, this, uh, this word, entered, it's used again. And in fact, it's used here in Mark chapter 9, verse 27. You're probably familiar with this verse. Um, it's it's a more of, uh, of a famous um, miracle of Jesus. This little boy's dad comes to Jesus. He's got the little boy with him. The little boy is demon-possessed. He's possessed by a demon. Unfathomable as a father to think about your little boy being possessed. We don't know how old the boy is. 10, 12, I would imagine. Um, maybe older. Can you imagine? Since he was, the father says earlier, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Since he was little bitty, um, the demon has, has, has um, been inside the little boy, has possessed him. But this, this is that word. Um, so when Jesus casts out the spirit in Mark 9, 27, he says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. It's the exact same word that was used of Judas, that was used of Satan entering Judas in the previous passage. So, ironclad evidence, right? Satan really did possess Judas and his free will was completely gone. No. Keep reading. Continue on. Check out what he does next. Matthew 27, 3 through 4. This is what Judas looks back on this account and says. Before we even get there, flip back over. I need you to see this a little bit too. Mark chapter 9. I left out a piece that is important that you probably need to see to help shore up the truth about this, what's going on here with the possession of this little boy. So, in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 21, is kind of the background. The dad's telling Jesus about his little boy's demon possession. And Jesus asked his father in verse 21, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Now that last little bit there is if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. That's so quintessentially Jesus, right? If you can do anything, Jesus is kind of like, I can do everything. And, and then that says, will you have compassion on us? Jesus says, I am compassion, right? I am love. Um, so that, this is kind of a beautiful passage there from Mark. But what we really want to underline here is, is the immediate thoughts right before that what the demon did to the little boy, what happened to him? He was 
the demon forced him, right? This is what demons do when they possess you, that they force you <coughs> to do things. And so, like, the demon forced the little boy into water, into rivers and lakes, trying to kill him. And he, he would force him into fire, try, trying to kill him. So what's that tell us? When you're demon-possessed, you become a passenger in your own brain. The demon has control of your body. I don't know how much you know of what's going on, how much the little boy knew of what was going on, how, how aware he was inside of his brain, but it seems obvious to me that the demon has 100% control over the little boy. To back up that argument, you can go back and look at Legion. Legion is just a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of Mark. And here's a guy who runs around the catacombs, the cemeteries there around uh, the area of the Sea of Galilee, up in the mountains, uh, hides in caves and catacombs and things like that. He's pretty well um, undressed and cuts himself with rocks and has this superhuman strength. He's not in control of himself. The demon's in control of him. All that to point you toward Matthew 27, verses 3 through 4. Could Judas have made a decision other than the one he made? 100%. Absolutely. He did not have to betray Jesus. He wasn't forced into that. The demon hadn't taken control of him in this way to force him to do this thing that was against his will. Judas still has free will. He made a decision. Well, how do you know that? That's what he thought. That's what Judas thought. Judas thought he made a decision. That he, emphasis on the he, he made a decision. It wasn't anybody else's decision. Judas made the decision. Listen to what, I mean, don't take my word for it. Listen to it from the horse's mouth. Uh, in verse 4, he says, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Who sinned? I did. That's what Judas said. I sinned. Not, not Flip Wilson's, the devil made me do it. He's certainly got a scapegoat here. If he's not in control of his actions, he's certainly got a pretty good scapegoat. Judas just wakes up and he's like, where, where did Jesus go? And he sees him on the cross. He's like, oh no, what's happened? That's not, that's, not what, that's not what the Bible records for us though, is it? Judas sees everything that's going on is reg regret, regrettable. He, uh, he's, uh, he said he regrets what has just happened and then takes responsibility for his actions. I have sinned. No, no one made me do this thing. This is my fault. This is my responsibility. The devil didn't make him do it. He's not lost his free will here. He made a decision. And so we make decisions every day, whether I'm going to follow or whether I'm not. Whether I'm going to follow Jesus or whether I'm going to do what I want to do. And so we have free will. That's, that's the word from Scripture, unequivocally. You have free will, so did Judas. And so what, how did he wind up in this position? How did he get there? I've got some opinions. I think they're backed up by Scripture. Judas accepted his flaws, but you shouldn't. 
one of the things that allowed Judas to get to this point was previous sin. And so he doesn't just wake up one day and is willing to betray his rabbis, his teacher, his closest friend. He doesn't just wake up one day willing to do that. It's a gradual progression. You ever made one compromise and thought, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I feel, I feel bad now. I feel icky now. And then you make another compromise. And then you make another one. And it's, it doesn't seem to affect you as much the fourth or fifth or sixth time. Until you wake up and you think, oh, oh, man. That, how did I get here? This is not at all who I want to be. I think that's exactly what happens to Judas. Let me, let me show you the progression, because you, you can kind of see it in Scripture uh, if you're watching. This is kind of how it goes down. In John chapter 12, we get a little bit of insight into who Judas is. I think this will be helpful for us. In verse 4, he says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So this woman comes to Jesus right before his death, uh, and her goal is to anoint Jesus' body for his burial. And so she brings in this alabaster flask. It's probably smaller than this remote, um, and it's got oil in it, really expensive oil. And she pours it on his head. And to Judas's eyes, she's just wasted it. In fact, 300 denarii is not a small amount. She, she dumped a year's worth of wages onto Jesus' head. Think what you make in a year. She poured that on Jesus' head. That's what 300 denarii is in, in their culture. It's, it's one year's worth of wages for uh, a manual labor, someone who, who does manual labor. And so she's, she's essentially wasting a whole year's worth of salary, and it's just gone in 10 seconds. And Judas says, well... This is a travesty. Why wasn't this given to the poor? We could have sold this and given it to the poor, and we could have helped so many people with that. I mean, we could have, we could have opened a food bank. We could, have, we could have clothed some people. You're talking about feeding 5,000 people. We could have fed 15,000 people with this much money. Man, what a heart of gold this guy has, right? Well, you, of course, know differently. Verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor. John's got a pretty good read on Judas's heart. Looking back on it years later, and gifted by perfect memory and, and the Holy Spirit's inspiration, he says, uh, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was the thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas has got a greed problem. He's got a greed problem. And any time you allow sin to hang out in your heart, it just flourishes it populates it takes over and it will run everything and it's not just true for greed of course it is obviously true for greed but it's true for any and every sin if you've got a lying problem think about it like this if you tell one lie how many lies are you going to have to tell to get out of that one 
it just keeps going, doesn't it? It just keeps multiplying, doesn't it? Same thing's true for every single sin. Our culture just doesn't think about it or highlight it like we do lying for some reason. Think about lust. What happens if you allow lust to hang out in your heart? You develop a pornography problem, right? You develop some inappropriate relationships, some sinful relationships. This is where sin leads every single time. If you allow it to hang out in your heart, if you don't deal with it quickly, let's be more specific. Not, not just if you allow it to hang out in your heart, but if you don't deal with sin quickly, if you don't repent, if you don't rip the sin out of your heart in repentance, it will multiply and multiply and multiply until it takes over everything inside of you and you wake up one day and you've completely betrayed Jesus. I think that's exactly how Judas got to where he was. I think he allowed greed, maybe specifically greed. There may be some more stuff going on in his heart that we're not privy to from Scripture, but certainly greed is in there. I think he just allowed it to fester. And like a wound, it just enveloped him. The scary thing is, he's not the only one that's susceptible to that. That's a human problem. That's a my problem and that's a you problem. Sin does this to everybody. If you allow it to, it will take you over. It's like crabgrass in your, in your garden. It'll, it'll just multiply until it's, it's everywhere. It's covered everything and you don't recognize who you are and you've made some compromises you aren't comfortable with. You got to deal with it quickly or it'll multiply. Back in the Old Testament, you, you run into a guy named Pharaoh, right? And he's most famous, I suppose, for his hard heart. If you remember Pharaoh, you remember the story, of course, vividly told to us in the book of Exodus by Moses via the Holy Spirit. Um, Moses is commissioned to go to Egypt and to basically tell the most powerful man on the planet that he's going to lose two to three million slaves and there's really nothing he can do about it. And if he would just go ahead and send the Hebrew slaves out of his country, uh, Yahweh would appreciate that very much. Thank you. Uh, Pharaoh doesn't take it well, as you might imagine. Uh, and so the Bible says that his heart started becoming hard. In other places, it's going to say God, had, God hardened his heart. And in other passages, it's going to say Pharaoh hardened his heart. I think it's the same thing. God did it in that he sent Moses with a message. And Pharaoh didn't like the message very much. He may have liked the messenger. I think Pharaoh and Moses knew each other. We'll talk about that later if you want to. But he may have liked the messenger, but he did not like Moses' message. And in fact, I would imagine that Pharaoh's hubris, his pride, um, his power, got in his way of listening. This is a powerful guy. You don't walk up to Pharaoh and tell him anything. He's the one who does the telling. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one that you kneel before. But Yahweh kneels before no one. Certainly no man. No matter how powerful. 
Pharaoh needed to kneel. And he did not like that message of submission, and he refused to hear it. And so that message, God's message of submit Pharaoh, that hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart because he didn't like that message, because he had allowed, from the way I understand it, had allowed sin to run rampant in his life, and it had just festered like a wound, and it eventually killed him. What's funny about Pharaoh's story is the lengths to which God went to soften this guy's heart and the lengths that he went to ignore God's call is even more impressive. Think about it. God turns the entire Nile River into blood and Pharaoh turns his head. The first three plagues, frogs, uh, if you go back and you read the story uh, in Exodus, when God sends the, the plague of, uh, of, uh, of frogs and, and uh, the, the serpent that uh, Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a serpent, Pharaoh's magicians were able to slide of hand and things like that. They were able to duplicate that, that particular miracle. And so Pharaoh says, well, anybody can do this thing. And God says, okay, you want something nobody else can do? Here's a country brought to its knees by lice, by flies, by frogs, by darkness, by hell, by the death of the cattle. Nothing. He, he doesn't listen, ever. There are moments in that story, you get glimpses of, of Pharaoh going, maybe I should let them go. This is costing our country an incredible amount. Maybe, maybe I should. And then he, he closes down again. He doubles down as a matter of fact, right? And he just keeps on pushing until finally what? It takes the death of the firstborn, including Pharaoh's own firstborn, to get him to relent, to get him to submit. But then, even after that, he, he tells them to leave, right? But even after he tells them to leave, that submission, the, the relenting that he had had in that moment he forgets about doesn't he and he wants them back and he comes back and at the Red Sea and he's going to take them back by force but Yahweh intervenes crushing his army and his empire that's what a hard heart will do for you if you don't deal with sin it'll crush you and your legacy like brother Castile was talking about this morning if you don't deal with sin it'll crush you and your legacy. Because sin doesn't just impact you. It impacts everybody around you. And this idea that I don't have free will, I think is really just a way to let ourselves off the hook. Because if if I don't have the if I don't have free will, then I don't have the have to have have to bear the responsibility for my actions. It's just not what the Bible says. He says you're in control here. You bear the, the brunt, the responsibility for your salvation. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to submit? Or does this heart look more like yours, like Judas's did? I think through years of greed, through years of looking for opportunities to skim some off the top, 
he had to be sneaky, right? I don't, I don't think the other disciples were ever on to him until later. Apparently, the Holy Spirit let him in on what he was, what he was doing. But even when, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, Jesus tells Judas to go do what you've got to do. Go do what you're going to do. Do you remember how, I think it's John, what he says is in the mind of the other disciples. Oh, they thought he's going to go pay the tax. Or that he was going to give some money to the poor. They thought he was going to go fulfill one of his obligations as treasurer for their little band. They had no idea. Can you imagine how sneaky Judas must have been? How much he must have hid that sin from his friends. They were around each other all the time. He had to have been sneaky. How much forethought do you think he put into that? I think through years of that kind of thinking, he has hardened his heart. And I don't want that for us. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. The only way to get out of this hard-hearted disease is to repent. Radical repentance. It starts building in us a soft heart. One that is concerned with things that might not concern other people. Most people would brush that off. Well, that's going to bother me. I, 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 I want to do it right. I want to live right. But if we allow sin to fester in our hearts, this is the only solution. This is the only end. This is, this is how that ends. With a hard heart. And you can't even see how God is trying to call you back. He gave Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. He never saw a single one of them. He goes, this is where his heart was. He just didn't care. He was so unwilling to submit. He just didn't care what God said. We can't be like that. We have to have ears that are ready to hear what he wants, who he wants us to be. One of the things that he wants us to do is repent of our sins so we can have this, this heart, soft heart that he, that he needs his people to have so that he can infiltrate every crevice of it and change every bit of it. You have free will. And so your question tonight is the same one that Joshua forces his generation to live with. And choose for yourself this day. Who are you going to serve? Yahweh or your past? Yahweh or literally anything else? Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're serving something that's not going to hold you up and it's not going to be there for you when you need it. But Jesus will. In fact, he majors in that kind of thing. He majors in, he focuses on salvation. He focuses on transformation, and that's what he does. Through the power of baptism, your sins are washed away, and you become a brand new creation. Maybe you've already made the decision tonight, and you need the prayers of this congregation to be soft-hearted. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing?
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder, this coming Sunday will be uh, the potluck. Um, everyone is invited to come to the potluck. Uh, we'll have, uh, after we will have one o'clock service, there will be no six o'clock service. Um, also, as a reminder, on February the 1st, Wednesday will be Stepping Stones dinner. Uh, soup is on the menu for that. Um, and then on February the 7th, which is a Tuesday at 6.30, the ladies will Joy will meet and go see a movie together. So, oh, the movie's here. Okay, movie's here. I didn't know. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't invited. I was. I was left out. I didn't get an invitation. So. <laughs> also, uh, out in the foyer board, uh, there's a sign-up sheet for snacks for CYC. Um, uh, if you can help out with that, we greatly appreciate it. Also. Um, there will be some boxes out in the foyer table for gifts for our college students for Valentine's Day. Uh, if you'd like to send them a card of encouragement, I know they'd greatly appreciate that. 
Remember to continue to keep uh, the Agner family and the Floyd family in your prayers. They lost loved ones last week. Keep them in your prayers. Remember to continue to keep Marvin Jordan in your prayers. Um, uh, he had a screw come loose in his back, uh, so he's recovering from that. Also, remember to continue to keep Heather Dempsey's brother Joe in your prayers as well as uh, he's having blood pressure problems. And uh, keep Gary Leap's uh, brother Terry Leap and Jennifer Baker and, um, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as well as they continue with their chemo treatments and cancer treatments. And uh, Jim Wilgus uh, has treatments tomorrow at Cabell Hospital. So keep him in your prayers as he starts his chemo treatment tomorrow. Um, that everything goes successfully and he feels good from it um, and doesn't get sick. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it... oh, all right, Life Group One, the second Sunday and the nineteenth, we'll meet here at the building uh, after morning worship. Uh, okay, more details coming soon on that. I, I had that on my phone and forgot look at my phone. Um, communion, thank you. <laughs> if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. I have one more announcement. If you know me, I'm a write-it-down kind of guy, so I'm speaking off the cuff. Bear with me. For your information, just for your knowledge, the uh, local area churches have been meeting for quite a few months uh, looking at starting a Christian school. And uh, there's been interest, a lot of interest from Ironton, South Point, Greasy Ridge. Um, Connie and I have been to all the meetings. Um, Flatwoods, uh, there's Piketon, I believe, and Waverly. That stuff is down the road. Uh, they're going to open their own school, but they're going to work with us till we get one running in this area. Um, it, they're getting discussions, meetings are getting pretty serious. They're going to go forward with this. I was asked to announce, to let you guys know that it's going to happen, and to ask for um, anybody that's interested, talk to us, because they're going to need, they'll need people to answer phones. Uh, you know, one day a week, two days a week, whatever you can do, mow the grass, uh, get the building ready to open, um, all kinds of volunteer type issues. So if you can donate some time, some effort, some energy, and yes, they need money as well to get it started and to keep it running. So um, that's where we're at, and I hope I didn't miss something, but let me, know, me or Connie know, uh, one or the other, if, if you're interested in that, can help out in any way, let us know what you can do uh, and what you can be involved in, and we'll pass it on. Oh, yeah, the, the school will be at South Point's building. Uh, so we're going to need to get their building kind of, I don't know, paint some walls, that type of stuff, just general maintenance items to get that building ready to go. Uh, they're wanting to start in the fall. So anything else? Yeah, right now they're looking at kindergarten to third grade, so, all right. Let us know if you've got any questions, uh, if you can donate some time or effort uh, to that school. <laughs> We're closing tonight with don't you want to go to that land.
Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land where I'm bound, where I'm bound? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land where I'm bound, where I'm bound? Nothing but love in that land, nothing but love in that land. Nothing but love in that land where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Nothing but love in that land, nothing but love in that land. Nothing but love in that land where I'm bound, where I'm bound. I've got a Savior in that land, I've got a Savior in that land. I've got a Savior in that land where I'm bound. Savior in that land, I've got a Savior in that land. I've got a Savior in that land where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land where I'm bound, where I'm bound? Don't you want to go to that land? Don't you want to go to that land? Help me, please. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father. We're thankful for this opportunity you've given us to come here, Father, today to study from your word. Father, we pray that we will take the lesson this morning from the minister from the disaster relief, take this evening's lesson as well, Father, and apply those where we need to. Father, we pray that you would be with the upcoming starting of the new school. Father, we pray that you would bless it, be with those that are working on it, Father. Let us help them in any way that we can. Father, we thank you for everything you do for us. We pray for all those on our sick list. Father, help us to be the lights we need to be in our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 